Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. I'd like us to meditate for a, a, just a little bit to begin this sermon on the last two years or so of our life together. And I mean all of us, the whole human family these past two years. Now, obviously, one of the first images you're going to think about is the fact that we've been living through a worldwide pandemic of the last year and a half or so. So we have images from healthcare crisis and the grief that's felt around the world to the ringing of bells and the singing from balconies. But there are so many images, other images from the last couple of years, fires and floods and extreme weather that continually appear as a, a clarion call to respect and renew our relationship with creation itself. May we never forget those images of different colored children's shoes placed together on the steps of a building that was once a residential school. A symbol of a Canadian tragedy and a prophetic statement that surely now we are ready to walk the path of truth and reconciliation. Then there's the images of ongoing violence against women, even though so many of us thought issues of women's rights and safety were one so long ago. And signs of conflict everywhere, of course. Civil wars and governments turning on their own people, political rhetoric escalating to hate and becoming so divisive, separating us by color or gender or income or culture. There is a bleakness to all of this, I recognize, and it's probably not the greatest way to start a sermon. On the one hand, we can't help but be overwhelmed by the amount of grief and anxiety and to live with a sense of despair, uh, given what we've lived through these past two years. That there is so much division and disruption, and we are wrestling with so many complex challenges. Where will we ever find the unity we need to overcome, to transform our current reality? And yet underneath the surface, working away, there can also be seen or sensed a slow but sure evolution of thinking, a, a subtle opening to a new awareness, a new consciousness of who we are as a human family and what our relationship is with each other and all living things. As Paul writes, all of creation groans toward salvation. Parker Palmer in a recent blog wrote, of all the virtues, hope is one of the most needed in our time. When people ask me how I stay hopeful in an era of widespread darkness, I simply answer, hope keeps me alive and creatively engaged with the world. When privileged people like me choose hopelessness over hope, it's not a reflection of the state of the world. It's a reflection of the state of our souls. Many years ago, uh, in the 1960s, the writer and activist James Baldwin gave a speech. And that speech uh, surfaced a few years ago in a documentary released uh, entitled, I'm Not Your Negro. It's uh, a documentary by a director, Raoul Peck, 
who envisions the book that Baldwin was working on and never published when he died. The book was to be a, a revolutionary personal account of the lies and, and successive assassinations of three of his close friends uh, and social activists, Medgar Evans, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. The result of this radical examination of race in America using, uh, uses uh, Baldwin's original words all the way through. So I want you to listen to just a very short clip from uh, a speech that Baldwin gave in the 1960s uh, about what was then termed as the race problem. Forget the Negro problem. Don't write any voting acts. We had that, it's called the 15th Amendment. During the Civil Rights Bill of 1964, what you have to look at is what is happening in this country. And what is really happening is a brother has murdered brother knowing it was his brother. White men have lynched Negroes knowing them to be their sons. White women have had Negroes burned knowing them to be their lovers. It is not a racial problem. It's a problem whether or not you're willing to look at your life and be responsible for it and then begin to change it. That great Western house I come from is one house, and I am one of the children of that house. Simply, I'm the most despised child of that house. And it is because the American people are unable to face the fact that in fact I am flesh of their flesh, bone of their bone, created by them. My blood, my father's blood is in that soil. What a courageous and prophetic vision that emerges from Baldwin's experience. Uh, a vision of our unity as a human family, even in the deep shadows in which he lived. This vision arises not so much from faith for Baldwin, but rather from living in to his own humanness. It is this recognition of unity, even in the midst of tragic division, that I want to focus on today. This vision, this alternative universal or cosmic story that Baldwin's pointing to, it aligns very closely to the teachings of Jesus, perhaps more closely than most Christians would want to acknowledge. Cynthia Berzeau, in her book, The Wisdom Jesus, explores the idea of unity or oneness that Jesus was teaching. She suggests uh, when Jesus talks about oneness, he's not speaking about an Eastern sense uh, of the equivalency of all being, such that I am in and of myself divine. Rather, what he has in mind is a complete mutual indwelling. I am in God, God is in you. You are in God, and we are in each other. Maybe the most beautiful symbol he gives us is uh, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. And then later he goes on to say in the Gospel of John, the Father and I are one. And of course, uh, Cynthia Brazil reminds us that this is a statement so blasphemous to Jewish ears that it almost gets Jesus stoned. But it's important to see that Jesus does not see this unity with the divine as an exclusive privilege but as something shared by all human beings. There is no separation between humans and God because of this mutual interbeing, this interabiding, which expresses the indivisible reality of divine love. 
So we flow into the divine just as much as the divine flows into us because it's the very nature of love to flow. The whole and the part live together in mutual loving reciprocity, each belonging to the other and dependent on the other to show forth the fullness of love. That's Jesus' vision of no separation between the human and divine and no separation then between human and human, which is an equally powerful notion. One of the most familiar teachings that we heard read today is his teaching to love your neighbor as yourself. But we must always hear this wrong in that we hear love your neighbor as much as yourself. And of course, the next logical question then becomes, how can I love my neighbor until I love myself? But if you listen closely to Jesus, there is no as much as in his teaching. It's just love your neighbor as yourself, as the continuation of your very own being. It's a complete seeing that your neighbor is you. So two things about all of this. One is there is an emerging cosmic story that every once in a while, uh, the human family needs to shift our cosmic story, our universal story, the way we understand ourselves and the world and our role in it. And that shift is happening now, I believe, underneath the surface. We are opening to a new understanding of consciousness itself. So the second point I'd like to make about all this is that some things must be let go of if we were going to move into this new universal story that is emerging. And one thing that I think is critical for Christians to, to let go of is something that's been so central to the Christian story all these centuries. When you hear me say this, you will either, it will either strike you as being patently obvious or something rather shocking. And although I've long held this perspective in my own inner reality, I'm not so sure I've actually said it in a sermon. But here goes. The one thing that I think Christians need to let go of, probably more than anything else, if we are going to move into this new universal story and really deeply not only understand, but embody the unity that God intended for us and for the whole human family and for all living things, the one thing we need to let go of is our idea of personal salvation. I believe there is no such thing as personal salvation. The whole concept of a private or personal salvation is actually divisive, and in many ways is Christianity's devastating contribution to the experience of separation and divisiveness in the human family today. How many of the current champions of intolerance and exclusion today also would boldly claim that they are born again, that they have a personal relationship with Jesus, that they are personally saved? Too many, I think. Moving away from the idea of personal salvation is part of the shift, both of the universal story that we've been telling for all these centuries, a shift away, but also clearly it brings a different vision for what it means to be human and what the spiritual path is all about. Let's go back to James Baldwin quote, Baldwin's quote at the end of his talk. That great Western house that I come from is one house, 
and I'm of the children of that house. It's simply that I'm the most despised of that house. It's the fact that the American people are unable to face that fact. But I am flesh of their flesh, bone of their bone, created by them. In other words, disunity and intolerance, division, it's not a black problem. It's not an indigenous problem. It's not a, a woman problem. It's not a queer or LGBTQAI plus problem. The reality is that this house we all come from is one house. And we are each children of that one house. And some of us just happen to be the most despised of that house. But that does not change the fact that we are all flesh of the one flesh, bone of the one bone, created by the one unity itself. When you hear that, and you reflect on all the division, the deeply rooted prejudice, the othering and the despising of difference that still reigns in our time as it has throughout history. How can we dare think, or worse, cling to the outdated notion that some individuals believing the right thing or taking the correct steps can actually experience personal salvation outside of the whole. What's the highest measure of spiritual attainment in the Christian gospel? Isn't it the capacity to love one's neighbor as oneself? The whole notion of individual salvation eventually proves to be an oxymoron. In a love-based model, everybody's spiritual destiny is extricably bound to everyone else's spiritual destiny. The word salvation itself, if you go back to the original Latin word, or root means salve, literally means wholeness. And it's only in the whole that wholeness can be found. Again, to go back to Paul's words, all creation groans toward this salvation, not only for some select people or the right ethnic group or the chosen religious tribe, all creation groans toward this salvation. And in the end, isn't wholeness the only salvation that really matters? Jesus came as a teacher, a prophet, sent to awaken us to a new consciousness, a new universal story. I suggest it's time we claim this new story in all its radicalness. For surely it is the source of hope for us in days like this and in the days to come. Hope that keeps us alive and creatively engaged with the world. May that be so among us. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.